Thank you for giving us time to be together. Um, we, we, we are grateful, and we would, just, we would ask now that, uh, that you would use your word to teach us, to admonish us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to do all the things that you promise your word can do. We trust that you will. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So we're continuing our series uh, on the heart of Christ. And so far, just for a quick recap, we've looked at uh, the heart of Christ as a heart of descent, not ascent. Um, We've looked at the heart of Christ as being one of a tender friend. We've looked at the heart of Christ uh, as being one of humility. Uh, We've looked at the heart of Christ as being um, one of an advocate, and we've looked last week as the heart of, at the heart of Christ as being a happy heart. And this morning we're going to look at his heart being a heart of peace. A heart of peace. In March of 2022, a little girl named Audrey Wallach celebrated her first birthday at home with her family. Audrey loved her cake and her presents, but what her family loved the most was just simply that Audrey was home because Audrey's mother, Molly, uh, knew that there was a chance that Audrey would spend her first birthday in a hospital room. Audrey was born with a combination of rare heart conditions that required multiple operations, including a heart transplant at just six months old. Um, Thanks to an organ donor and the team of specialists at the St. Louis Children's and Washington University Heart Center, Audrey is not only alive, but she is happy and healthy today as now she would be about a two-year-old girl. In her first year, Audrey needed two major operations. The first implanted a device to support her heart function, and the second operation actually gave her a brand new heart. There are about 4,000 adults and children in the, U- in the U.S. <clears throat> waiting for a new heart. And a single, kind of a cool thing, a single organ donor, according to Washington University, transplant specialist can save as many as seven lives. Seven lives. And just a fun <clears throat> brag on STL, um, the heart transplant program at St. Louis Children's Hospital was established in 1986. In 2019, the program became the first pediatric program in the Midwest to reach the milestone of 500 heart transplants. For each of these patients, medicine wouldn't have worked. Heart therapy would not have worked. There's not a pacemaker in the world that would have kept them alive. What they needed was not an updated or improved heart. What they needed was a completely, entirely new heart. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied about what Christ would make possible. Um, I like the, the way the New Living Translation puts it. He says this, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, a healthy heart, a new heart. Notice the word that Ezekiel uses, I, and he uses the word give. Ezekiel was a prophet who structured his book around the theme of Yahweh's presence, of being in the presence of Yahweh. Ezekiel was the, as were um, all prophets, the mouthpiece of Yahweh to the Israelite people. And Ezekiel had 
uh, revelation that Yahweh would bless the people with new hearts if they would just see their need for him. Now, something to note here that, like, um, God is not God's name. Do you know that? Like, that's not his name. That would be like saying, like, person, like you're a person. Um, if you were greeted this morning at the door with, hello, person, like, I apologize. That's not very warm, right? Um, like, we can do better. His name in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's all consonants, uh, no vowels. And so we, we plug, so it's Y-H-W-H, and then we plug in some vowels because we want to be able to say it. So we dropped an A in there and an E in there. And so it's Y-A-H-W-E-H. And from, and this name comes from the interaction actually in Exodus chapter three between God and Moses. When, when Moses asks the Lord, what is your name? And he responds with, I am, or I am who I say I am. And so from there, um, Lord is used because there was such reverence for Yahweh or Adonai in Hebrew or uh, Kyrios in Greek or in Latin, Dominus, okay, Lord. But the point is this, Ezekiel alongside every prophet, I want you to hear this, believed that Yahweh is holy and pure and that humans, in order for us to be in Yahweh's presence, um, we need to be given a new heart, a holy heart, a pure heart, Paul would use similar language post-Christ in writing his letter to the Corinthians. He would say this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not like a renovated creation or a rehabbed creation, a new creation. It says, he, he goes on to kind of reiterate this by saying, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The old is replaced with the new. <clears throat> and John would document the way that Jesus put it as one must be born again or given an entirely new life or new heart. Now, <clears throat> I want you to think about something with me for a few minutes. <clears throat> what if for one day, Jesus' heart were to take the place of your heart? With one exception, nothing about your life changes. Your marriage doesn't change. Your, your health doesn't change. Your financials don't change. Your schedule isn't altered. <clears throat> your problems are not solved. Only one change occurs, and that's that you have the heart of Christ. What if for one day your heart gets the day off and your life is led completely, entirely by the heart of Christ? Would you still do what you had planned to do for the next 24 hours? With the heart of Christ, what, if anything, would change? And the answer to that question is undoubtedly yes. Everything would change. <clears throat> and it seems as though that which would be most noticeable, for, for me at least, and I would speculate that you would agree, what would be most notable would be the amount of peace that you would be able to experience. One of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry is peace, an inner calm. Um, Tim Keller would use other synonyms like a tranquility and an equilibrium. And anyone and everyone who spent time with Jesus felt this same peace. 
that came from him. In fact, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But this was unique to Jesus, wasn't it? Like the ability to give peace. Um, Ezekiel couldn't give it. Like no prophet could give it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the Apostle Paul, none of them had the ability, the power to give peace, did they? I can't say to you, like, my peace I give to you. I would be lying because I don't have that. You don't want my peace. You would call my peace a piece of junk because it's not peaceful. Some people appear to sort of have an inner peace about them. And I would even bet that if you asked that person, the most peaceful person in your life, if you asked them and you began to peel back the layers of their heart, you would realize there's a, there's a lot within, within them that's not at peace. And so I want us to sort of set the record straight today that you, you can't find inner peace. You won't find inner peace. Peace is not found inward. The deeper you dig inside, the more chaos you'll find, the more stress and anxiety you will unpack. Now, this isn't to suggest that you never do the hard work of self-reflection or seeing a counselor to talk through the stuff of life that's deep within. It's simply stating one of the most important and historical and orthodox belief in, in Christianity that you can't find inner peace. And I would also argue that you can't find outward peace. Like there's no amount of searching the face of the earth that will bring about the lasting peace that you and I long for. I tend personally to be a person that believes this is just kind of like the deception of my own heart. Um, I'm like a very anti-clutter person. Anybody else? And I just think if I can just declutter everything, I'm just going to experience all the peace in the world. Like if I can just get, actually, I was going to have a picture pop up, um, but I spent the last couple of days being, being sick, but also organizing our storage room that's been years. And I, I sent it to a couple of friends, and I wish it was there, but it was like a before and after. And I've just been so excited about um, decluttering this space for years and years. And we finally did it, and we bought shelves, and it looks beautiful. Um, I even like painted the floor and it, it, it's incredible. Um, it's a good thing to do, but, but I'm well aware that less clutter won't bring my heart the peace that it needs. And so what is it for you? The thing in which you believe, like if this just were to happen, then I would experience like tranquility. We live in the most frantic, brain-fogged, calendar-filled, schedule-strapped, aggressive agenda society in the history of the world. And then we wonder why the promise of being able to experience and to know lasting peace sounds so wonderful because it's what our hearts long for the most. So back to the question. If you had the heart of Christ for one day, what would change? What would change? Everything would change, and here's why. Because the heart of Christ, there are two points this morning, the heart of Christ, and here they are, is the most poised heart and the most peaceful heart. 
Because the heart of Christ is the most poised heart and the most peaceful heart. Firstly, Jesus' heart was perfectly poised. Jesus' heart was perfectly poised. And it was perfectly poised because he knew his power. That's why it was perfectly poised. There's a story where Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and and people begin to gather. Thousands of people, many of whom were lame, blind, crippled, and mute. And Jesus begins to heal, and then he feels compassion for them because they hadn't eaten for three days. By the way, if you don't read the Bible and find yourself in shock by how different things were in the days of Jesus, I don't know what you're reading. Um, We couldn't go three hours without a snack. It's day three, and they just now realize, like, oh, yeah, we hadn't, like, they haven't eaten in three days. Not like after the first day of sermons, like, maybe we need to get some food. Three days in, Jesus has compassion. And he says this in Matthew chapter 15. It says this, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. That's how hungry they were. And the disciples said to him, where are, we, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus goes, I got this. I got this. The disciples were going to send them away. And Jesus instead takes their seven bread loaves and a few fish, and he feeds 4,000 men, not including the women and children. So likely over 10,000 people are stuffed and there's leftovers. He was poised in this situation because he knew his power. He knew what he was capable of, something his disciples could not do. Other examples, Peter drew his sword to fight the soldiers as they came to take Jesus away, but not Jesus. Jesus, in perfect poise, tells tells Peter to put his sword down. His heart was poised. He knew his power. He knew what he was capable of at any given time. He knew his power, but he also knew why he came in that moment. He came to seek and save the lost. He was poised. He was fixed on the cross that was to come, that was his to bear. And so he kept his posture, his control. He remained steady at all times. See, the idol of self-protection keeps us from poise. We are so on the defensive, sort of waiting for someone to offend us or for something to mess up our rhythms of life. Someone says or does the wrong thing to be harmed or inconvenienced, to be thrown off in the slightest, to not get what we want or need because we are so self focused, whereas Jesus was not this way. And so for us, when those moments come and often they come, our poise is completely and totally thrown off. Because we are well aware that we have very little power or control to do anything about it. And it jacks with our heads and our hearts. And so when someone goes like, just be like Jesus, like have the poise of Jesus, It's an impossible standard. The unbelieving world that accuses Christians of not acting like Jesus is completely accurate. 
The reason Jesus had such perfect poise is because he knew his power. He would even say things like, I and the Father are one, something you and I cannot say. So he had a a perfectly poised heart. Secondly, Jesus' heart was perfectly peaceful. And here's why. It was perfectly peaceful because his heart was stayed on his Father. It was stayed on his Father. Isaiah would write one of the most profoundly impactful passages in the entirety of the scriptures. He says this in Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The heart of Christ was stayed on the will of his Father at all times. The crowning attribute of Christ was this. His thoughts, his mind, his heart always reflected his connection to and relationship with the Father. Again, John 14, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. His first recorded sermon begins with the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was led by the spirit in Matthew chapter four and full of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter four. He returned from the desert in the power of the spirit in Luke chapter four. Jesus was spiritual. We often use the language like our spiritual life to sort of, here's my physical life, here's my spiritual life, here's... But what are we saying when we say that? We're saying that we're spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit is in me. Jesus was perfectly and wholly and entirely spiritual, connected to the Trinity at all times, in perfect relationship and in perfect harmony. So the goal of this whole series is to paint the portrait of Christ in his heart. And I hope you're beginning to kind of see this. Another fun story of his heart being stayed on God was when Jesus was um, sleeping on the boat in the storm. He was out cold. He wasn't just like taking a quick little nap, it doesn't say. He wasn't just kind of lounging. He was full on sleeping in a storm. That, by the way, was bad enough for the disciples to say, save us, we are dying. That's how bad the storm was. And peaceful Jesus wakes up, and before he does anything about it, he just goes, you have such little faith in my power in what I am capable of doing. That's what he does first, before he calms the storm. He says, that's why you don't have peace. Our hearts seem so, so different from his, don't they? You know, when you're, uh, the most like relevant uh, analogies I have right now have to do with cleaning because for the last 48 hours, it's just been cleaning. Um, And you know, when you're cleaning or organizing, you just get irritable. You ever notice that? Why? I used to send Sarah away. I'd be like, you need to go leave for about a half a day so I can just clean all day. Um, Because you just get irritable. Why is that? Like I was doing great yesterday, just 
working all happy and peaceful, and it was good until my body began to tire. And right around 4 p.m., I was bringing some heavy shelves in the house, and my dogs were in the way. How dare, how dare they get in the way? And I verbally just yelled out, okay, I'm done. My patience is gone. It was done. I was done, completely done. Jesus is not this way. He is pure. We are guilty. He is peaceful. We are hassled. He is purposeful. We are distracted. He is pleasant. We are cranky. He is spiritual. We are earthly. The distance between our hearts and his heart seem impossibly far. Do they not? How then could we ever hope to have the heart of Jesus? Um, Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of the late Jim Elliot, who, did not, who died on a missionary journey to Ecuador. Um, when was that? Does anybody know? I wish I could. The 19... 60? 54? A lot of dates going around here. We can, well, you can look it up. There's a, there's a movie about it that's great, too. Um, he, he was bringing the gospel to the Huarani people, I believe it's pronounced. And um, she had a journal, and in her journal, she would write about all sorts of things, but she would write about other missionaries as well. And she wrote, Elizabeth Elliot wrote about Amy Carmichael, uh, who was a missionary in India who had endless trials as well. And if you can get your hands on anything by Amy Carmichael or Elizabeth Elliot, it would be good for your soul. And in it, um, she gives this, this beautiful illustration. She references this illustration that Amy Carmichael had written about herself while she was in India. I want to read it for you. Um, the sunbird, one of the tiniest of birds, a native of India, builds a pendant nest, hanging it by four frail threads generally from a spray of valeris. It is a delicate work of art, with its roof and tiny porch, with a splash of water or a child's touch might, which, which a splash of water or a child's touch might destroy. She's describing the nest. She tells how she saw a little sunbird building such a nest just before the monsoon season and felt that bird wisdom had failed. For how could such a delicate structure in such an exposed situation weather the winds and the torrential rains? The monsoon broke, and from her window, she watched the nest swaying with the branches in the wind. Then she perceived that the nest had been so placed that the leaves immediately above it formed little gutters, which carried the water away from the nest. There sat the sunbird, with its tiny head resting on her little porch, and whenever a drop of water fell on her long, curved beak, she sucked it in as if it were nectar. The storms raged furiously, but the sunbird sat quiet and unafraid, hatching her tiny eggs, she concludes, we have a more substantial rest 
for head and heart than the sunbird's porch. We have the promises of God. They are enough, however terrifying the storm. So, what are the promises of God that give us that rest and that peace? And most specifically, what is the single greatest promise of God that can save us from not only our sin, but, but from a life of sort of frantically fumbling around down here, most days experiencing the opposite of tranquility, the opposite of poise, and the opposite of peace. And here it is. Here is the, the single greatest promise of God. You ready? For those in Christ, you don't have to wait any longer. You already have the heart of Christ. That's it. So back to the original question, what if for a day you had the heart of Christ? For those in Christ, you do. According to 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in or lives in or makes his home in. And he in God. Is this how you view your life and your heart? Listen, one of these supreme yet unrealized promises of God is that if you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus has given his life to you. He has given his heart to you. He has made your heart his home. It would be hard to say it more clearly than the Apostle Paul did. Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And so it's not just that his presence is with us. It's that his heart is in us. And so as for the question, what if you had the heart of Christ for a day? The good news of the gospel is that we can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's good news, isn't it? And then the tranquility and the equilibrium and the peace and all that, well, our eternal peace is secured. Our salvation is secured forever. There's this process called sanctification of just every single day, one degree to the next, becoming more and more like Jesus. And the only way we do that is not by looking inward or looking outward. It's by receiving, 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 receiving the peace of Christ. Before we come to the table for communion this morning, let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your life, for the perfect life of peace that you lived. We stand in awe of your perfect poise and your perfect peace as we read through the scriptures, as we mine the scriptures. We thank you for offering that heart to us, for removing our heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. May we live in such a way that honors the very heart that you have given us. We thank you for being steady when we are frantic. We thank you for being our peace. We pray all this this morning in the name of Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. So the, the series that we're in um, is actually, uh, it's not loosely based on, but there's a book by Thomas Goodwin, Puritan Thomas Goodwin, called The Heart of Christ. It's just a refreshing book that would really edify your soul if you would pick it up. But he says these words, and he says, Now the same spirit dwelling in Christ's heart in heaven 
that does and yours here, and he concludes with this, and always working 